What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Booby Gibson. I'm Josh Craig. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your hey, labrum and you can go on the... You know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's only a game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer to the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. We are live from the University of Akron, ladies and gentlemen. This is the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. This is the June 19th edition of Sports Power Talk. It's also Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the great dads out there. My name is Jacob Moran, your favorite Baker Mayfield supporter and the man behind the desk hosting today's show. Joining me today are my analysts. First, he is joining us. For the second time in a row, it's the bracketologist and overall basketball guru here at WZIP Sports. It's Jeff Longville. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Yeah, happy Father's Day. And second, he is the no good, very bad, terrible, emotional, illogical take, heat culture supporter, or whatever that means. It's my rival, Logan Congrove. Heat culture. Way to mention it. Yeah, proud of you. And then I said whatever that means because there's no substance to it at all. But that's okay, Logan. Lots of substance. Anything can happen when Logan and I are on the show together. So it's going to be a great show. Now that you know who we are, let's break down what we have in store for you all today. At 12.30, we'll break down the Cleveland Guardians past week, look at the AL Central standings, and have our Player of the Week segment with some reverse power rankings in the MLB. So that should be fun. In an hour, we will talk about the latest within the NFL, including some news on two Cleveland quarterbacks. Of course, I'm talking about the former number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, and the man the Browns gave the highest guaranteed contract to in Deshaun Watson. But let's kick it off with the most important sport of the week, a sport that crowned a new undisputed champion of the National Basketball Association. Yes, I'm talking about the Golden State Warriors. We're going to kick it off by talking about the finals before we head to our first break, only to resume the show with more NBA conversations revolving around the offseason and draft. So don't go anywhere. As I mentioned, let's get started with the NBA Finals by recapping Game 5, where the Warriors would win 104-94 to to take a 3-2 series lead. Gentlemen, what do you have for me on Game 5? Um, watching the Golden State Warriors play this series, let alone Game 5, um, they are a bona fide dynasty at this point, and I knew after that game that the series was pretty much locked up for them. Yeah, what stood out to me was that Stephen Curry struggled shooting only 7 of 22 from the field and then 0 for 9 from 3 
And up until that point, he had been the leading scorer for both teams in every game so far. But Andrew Wiggins for the Warriors stepped up with 26 big points and 13 rebounds. The Warriors were also plus 7 in steals, minus 12 in turnovers, plus 13 points off turnovers, and plus 14 in the paint. Yeah, kind of mentioning everything there, Jeff. And honestly, I think the Celtics really shot themselves in their foot in this game. Uh, they missed 10 free throws, had 12 more turnovers than the Warriors, and like you said, were outscored in the paint by 14. Plus, it's not like the Warriors had their best game in this series. Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins was their leading scorer. Steph Curry only scored 16, and they were only 9 for 40 from behind the arc. They were out-rebounded and committed 12 more fouls than the Celtics. So really, this was the Celtics games game to lose, and that's exactly what they did in Game 5. Last week, I predicted the Warriors to win in six games. I had them winning Game 5, and I had them winning Game 6. That's exactly what happened. Let's talk about Game 6. Warriors won 103-90 to to win the NBA Finals, their fourth championship in eight years. Really, the game was over before it even started, but what do you have for me on Game 6? Watching that game and watching the Celtics completely fall apart, because they started out, the Celtics started out running good, and I thought maybe the Celtics would have a chance. I thought maybe they'd push for a game seven, and then as we moved into like the second half, honestly the third quarter specifically, I knew that game was over, and watching Boston play was excruciatingly bad, and it just proved that I personally don't think they were ready to be in the moment like that, and it proves that Golden State is always ready to be in the moment like that. Yeah, for me, I was expecting Boston to win Game 6 and take it to 7, but uh, like Logan said, as the game went on, the Warriors started to pull away. Uh, Steph Curry got back to form with 34 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists, and he also hit 6 threes after going 0 for 9 in the previous game. Boston had 22 turnovers, which allowed Golden State to score 27 points off of them, and then Golden State was also plus 24 from 3. Yeah, exactly. Also, Draymond Green finally showed up to a finals game. 12 points, 8 assists, 12 rebounds. Only one foul committed. So I guess that was very nice. Very nice. Good for him. Yeah, Draymond Green playing well in a finals game. Um, But honestly, like I mentioned, the game was over before it even started. The Warriors went on a 21-0 run in the first half, which is the longest scoring run in the last 50 NBA finals. The Warriors had this game... Game 6 won the NBA Finals, and Steph Curry was crowned with his first career NBA Finals MVP. His stats in the series, he averaged 31.2 points per game, 5 assists per game, 6 rebounds per game, and shot the belt, shot the ball incredibly well with a 48.2 field goal percentage and 43.7 three-point percentage. Any disagreements here? I mean, it had to go to Curry, right? It definitely I mean, had to go to Curry. You guys were joking about Andrew Wiggins. I know, <laughs> I was kidding about Wiggins. He did play well, and I don't think that they would have been as, success, as successful in this series without Andrew Wiggins. But it it is Steph Curry's time. He's played in four of these now, and he proved that he really is a leader of that team, and he deserved it this time around. And he deserved the championship for the first time, in my opinion. I think that the Warriors won a really deserved championship. Yeah, um, I'll give a shout-out to Andrew Wiggins because as the series went on, he played terrific defense on Jason Tatum and, again, stepped up in Game 5 for the Warriors when Curry was struggling. But other than Game 5, Steph Curry was the best player for the Warriors, and he absolutely deserved it. Do you agree with Logan's statement that this is the first championship that the Warriors officially deserved? I don't know if I'd go that far. I think that it's the most legit they've won. Um, I think 2015, they had a bit of an easy road because uh, Kyrie and Kevin Love were both hurt, and LeBron got two games on them by himself. 
And then in 17 and 18, let's be honest, nobody's going to beat the team with Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Kevin Durant. So I would say that this is their most legit championship and one that the Warriors can look back on and say, we're really proud of this one because it's the most legit. Yeah, I agree with you guys to an extent. I just don't like the stigma of like players not deserving championships because of who they're surrounded by. And regardless of what player and what what championship they've won, they've always had a supporting cast, whether that be LeBron with Kyrie and Kevin Love or LeBron with Anthony Davis or the Heat and their three players that they had. So for me, I understand it. This might be their most legit one, but I don't think that the three others they've won in these past eight years were illegitimate. So, And also, a lot of the times, like, when you when you have an easier road, like, you can't really control that. You can't control if somebody gets hurt or if a lower seed beats a higher seed in the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. I think if they play the Bucks here with, like, a healthy Chris Milton, it might be more of a, a competitive series. Mm-hmm. Not that this series wasn't competitive, but I think we all went into it knowing almost what to expect, and I was kind of surprised that the Celtics came out and played, played the way they did, taking that 2-1 series lead, but I honestly had the Warriors from the very beginning. So, But talking about the Warriors, you know, Steph Curry finally winning that NBA Finals MVP. Question to be asked here, is he the GOAT's point guard? Andre Iguodala came out and said that he thinks he is. Is he the greatest of all time at his position, guys? I think that's very difficult to say. I think it's very tight between him and Magic Johnson, but I think that in today's NBA, it is much more difficult to be playing the way that Steph Curry is playing. As much as I am a big Magic Johnson fan, I think he was great for the NBA and still is great for the NBA. I think that this did push Steph Curry over the top over Magic Johnson. Really? I do. Wow. Um, for me, I think it closed the gap, but I still have him as the second best point guard behind Magic Johnson. You look at how their careers stack up as far as accolades are concerned. Magic has three MVPs to Curry's two, five championships to Curry's four, three finals MVPs to Curry's one, four assist titles to Curry's zero, two steals titles to Curry's one, nine NBA first team selections to Curry's four, 12 all-star appearances to Curry's eight. And in the playoffs, Magic had 13 appearances to Curry's 8, led the playoffs in assists five times to Curry's 0, led the playoffs in steals twice to Curry's 1, and in the finals has 9 appearances to Curry's 6, has led the finals in assists 8 times to Curry's 0, and is better in career totals and averages in everything except for 3-point field goal percentage. Uh, I will give Steph Curry credit, though. He's the only unanimous MVP um, led the league in free throw percentage four times to Magic Johnson's one, has two scoring titles to Magic's zero, has a final scoring title one time to Magic's zero. Three-point field goal, uh, three-point field goals made in the fin- in the playoffs, seven to zero, and then led the playoffs in three-point field goals made four to one. So sorry, my bad. Uh, led the league in the regular season in three-point field goals seven to zero, led the playoffs in three-point field goals four to one. So I'll give him credit where credit is due, but to me, Magic Johnson is still the better point guard. I will I will tip my cap to Magic, though, because being our age, I never personally watched Magic Johnson play, and I do think that makes a difference on the influence of people's opinion because Steph Curry is something that people our age and people everywhere are currently watching, and 
obviously the older generation is always going to pick Magic Johnson over guys like Steph Curry because that's who they grew up watching when they were our age. So I think there's a lot of bias involved in that decision whether you're picking Magic Johnson or Steph Curry. So I'll fully admit that I'm a little biased because Steph Curry is who I'm currently watching and have been watching my entire life. And real quick, I do want to correct myself on something. Um, earlier I said in career totals and averages, Magic ranked higher than Curry in everything but three-point field goal percentage. That is true, but also in points, Curry is higher. But everything else is Magic. Right. And I agree with you, Logan, um, based off generations and who we have watched. You can even have that conversation when we talk about MJ versus LeBron or even just like a, a top five all-time list that we're about to get into. But um, that's definitely a valid take. But I do agree with Jeff. He mentioned all the accolades and then some. And Magic Johnson does rank higher than Steph Curry in the accolades. I think Magic Johnson is more of a traditional point guard when we think of the point guard position. Whereas Steph Curry, he's never really been about raising his assist totals. He's more of a shooter, a dynamic shooter that can really take over the game whenever he wants to. Right. So I also... Agree. Steph Curry in second place in the GOAT point guard conversation. I still have Magic Johnson at number one, but it also came out this week that another player thinks that Steph Curry is top five all time. That player is John Morant. So I'll ask you guys, Steph Curry might not be the GOAT point guard in our opinions, Jeff, but he is to you, Logan. Where does he rank all time? Is he in the top five? He is definitely not in the top five. But I would give him, on some lists, I would give him top 10, maybe just outside of the top 10. Maybe like top, honestly, maybe like top 15. There's a lot of good, there's been a lot of good players over time in the NBA. And top five is a huge, huge stretch as of right now. All right, huge stretch. What do you think? Uh, So for me, as of right now, I have Curry just outside the top 10 at number 11. But... I haven't really looked into comparing him to my number 10 player, which is Wilt Chamberlain. If I really did the research, I might let Curry sneak into the top 10, but for right now, I have him at 11. Do you think he's the best shooter of all time? Is that Without, a, without a doubt. Not even close. Okay. Without a doubt. But the best shooter doesn't get in the top 10. No. I would definitely put him in my top 10. I don't have like a top 10 list. I wouldn't know who to compare him to, but... Him being the best shooter of all time, him having the most three-point field goals made of all time, I would at least put him in my top ten. But let's talk about top five right now. And I asked you guys to rank the top five NBA players of all time. We did something similar to this when, uh, Jeff, I believe it was you and Marcus when Mm -hmm. we did our all-star game draft for the NBA. (laughs) Same kind of concept here. My two guests are going to create a list I'm going to be the judge. I have my own list that I can share as well and get you guys' thoughts on. But right now, I want you guys to go ahead with your top five all-time players, and I will judge. Logan, I'll try and not be biased. Okay. Um, but it's going to be a little hard. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Jeff, I'll go to you first, though. Who's your number five? My number five is Kobe Bryant. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am in the same position. Kobe Bryant at five. All right, interesting. Not much to judge off so far. Number four? Magic Johnson. Number four, I would put... It's just tough. I was thinking about this for a while. I'd probably put Bill Russell. Hmm. Just to the pure fact, because 
there's got to be someone from that era in that top five list. And the pure fact that the amount of championships that man won and the amount of adversity he went through to be as good as he was, I'd put Bill Russell at four. All right. Number three. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay. A lot of Lakers in yours. Yeah. We're not done yet. Yeah. <laughs> I would also have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at three. All right. Very similar list so far. And I have a feeling that I know what players are at number one and two. Mm-hmm. The order can be a controversy, though. Uh, Logan, I'll go to you first for number two because I already know what Jeff is going to say. Number two is LeBron James. All right. <laughs> Jeff? Big disagree there. Number two is Michael Jordan. And then at number one, Jeff, is LeBron James. It's LeBron James. Number Absolutely. one is Michael Jordan. You guys want to have the GOAT debate? We can have the GOAT debate. We only got 10 minutes left in the segment. That's not enough time. Eh, there's so but much. I, I can make some arguments. There's so much information that goes into the GOAT debate, but we could have it. Right. My, Let's do it. For me, honestly, it's just, you look at statistically, LeBron is better overall than Michael Jordan, but stats are not everything. I will acknowledge that. And obviously, Michael Jordan has six rings to LeBron's four. It's a very solid argument. And one of those was a Mickey Mouse ring. If if anybody else but LeBron would have won that, nobody would be making that argument. People nah, just love to hate on I'm LeBron. I'm a Heat fan, and I was calling that a Mickey Mouse ring when they were playing in those finals. But how, okay. So was it a Mickey Mouse finals appearance? Yeah. How how can 100%. how can that appearance and that win be taken like not as seriously as the other ones when everybody playing, They're, all the teams playing in that environment had the exact same. They were playing in like an AAU gym. Okay, but, like, what does it matter? No team has an advantage because there's no home court. Like, it's all a neutral site. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I do really understand discrediting that ring. I really don't get it. Yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. Just because it wasn't your standard traditional NBA season doesn't right. mean that it didn't propose its challenges along the way. And if anything, it was a more challenging season because COVID-19 right. shut everything down, then they had to repair it all back. Right, so. and if anything, the team that benefited that benefited the most from it being all neutral sites was the Miami Heat because they were not going to have home court advantage in any playoff series they played that year because they were the five seed. So, I just don't really see your point there. I don't know. I just I just think it was not that challenging, <laughs> in my opinion. But um, really, the biggest thing for me when I say that LeBron is better than Michael Jordan is because LeBron has been able to accomplish more with less. Like, Michael Jordan struggled to have success in the playoffs until Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson showed up. And LeBron carried the 07 Cavs to the finals. Got swept, yes, but they were playing the Spurs dynasty. Like, what do you expect? So, here's my backup point to that. If if you are the greatest player of all time and you don't need any help, why are you getting swept? That's I didn't I'm, say he didn't need help. That's where I'm... I'm just that's saying where that I LeBron say, had less help and accomplished more than Michael Jordan did. That's where I put Michael Jordan ahead of LeBron because Michael Jordan won six rings on the same team and also retired in the middle of that and came back and won three more as soon as he got back. Right, but also I think that the Bulls in the 90s were... I won't say equal to the Warriors as far as like being a really good organization and making all the right moves. But, like, if you think about it, right, Scottie Pippen was drafted from the University of Central Arkansas. He's the only player to come out of that university. And this is in the 80s when scouting wasn't as easy because technology wasn't as developed. And then they go get Tony Kukoc, who was overseas. Again, 
scouting wasn't as easy. Technology wasn't as developed. They signed, you know, Dennis Rodman to keep them afloat. Like, LeBron's never been able to be a part of an organization that was as well-rounded as the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. I'm saying this as a basketball fan, not even as a Heat fan, so you don't... I think the Miami Heat are one of the most organized... I will say that, that was the in, best organization in the played NBA. for, but I don't think they come close to the Bulls in the 90s, though. So you don't think pulling guys like D-Wade, Chris Bosh, pulling all those guys together is equivalent to Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen? Well, it was good, yeah, but I don't think it was as equal because the Bulls were also able to um, give Jordan role players as well, and Phil Jackson is a better coach than Eric Spolstra. 100%. And if, I, that. if I may butt in here, yeah. like talking about the Bulls in the 90s, people are making that comparison to the Warriors dynasty, and people are still even saying that the Bulls were better than the Warriors dynasty. So making the comparison with the Bulls and the Miami Heat, I don't think has much much ground to it, like you were saying, Jeff. Mm. All right, well, I mean, we'll cut the GOAT debate short right there. <laughs> um, a lot was said. Maybe we even make that a future podcast because, Jeff, I'm sure you can talk about that all day. Oh, most definitely. Recap our list, though. I mean, we just had the little small go debate. Um, refresh our listeners. Um, I'll go to you first. Five, list. Kobe. Four, Magic. Three, Kareem. Two, MJ. One, LBJ. All right. Kobe at five. Bill Russell, four. What did I say at three? I totally just lost it. Was it Kareem? Yeah, Kareem at three. LeBron at two. Jordan at one. So my list is LeBron James, number one. Michael Love Jordan. Love to see it. Michael Jordan, number two. Kareem, number three. Bill Russell, number four. And then Magic Johnson, number five. Wow, we were you only one have, off. You don't have Kobe in your top five? Kobe would probably be number six. Mm. That's why I think I That's have Kobe. fair. I think Magic and and Kobe are interchangeable there. Right. So, if I am judging Logan, it pains me, but I would have to give it to you. I think wow. Your top, was not expecting sheesh. that. I unfortunately think am, your top five is a little bit better, even though I disagree with. I'm gonna reach across the table and shake your, your hand, sir. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not. We're not there yet. Not there yet. <laughs> Jake shakes Logan's hand and puts Purell on immediately. <laughs> the day we do that, we need to like take a picture or something, and yeah, I don't know if it'll ever happen. We'll see. You, maybe one day, unless you come around to Baker Mayfield. No. Yeah. No. Never gonna happen. Which I will. I was listening last week. I will follow up to Pat Weber's comment. I did receive my paycheck today, so I will be going home and following through on my end of the bet with Jeff and yeah. Kyle, unfortunately. But I am a man ordered. of my word. I will buy the Baker Mayfield Texas Tech jersey. It's not even ordered yet? No, I didn't get paid till today. I was broke when I made that bet. <laughs> of course you were. Making smart college student decisions. I oh, yeah. Go Zips. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our little top five NBA players of all time. Uh, Logan, I did give it to you, but my list is probably the best out there. I mean, come on. I, I, I do yeah, like you got. I don't know. For me, Bill Russell's top ten, but I can't put him in the top five because Bill Russell played in an era where there's no salary cap, and the Celtics just had the most OP team out of any team in that era. So, like, 11 rings is cool and all, but I can't put him in my top five. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's the only player that I would really debate in my list. Obviously, Kobe has a place in the top six, wherever you put them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just didn't crack my top five. Let's get back to the Warriors, though. And let's just talk about how we feel about the Warriors before we head into break. Uh, do we still hate them from the Cavs rivalry and just the dynasty they've built over the years? Or do we have more respect for them, if anything, today? 
a couple days after their fourth title in eight years. I will say that I do have more respect for them after this championship, but they're still my least favorite NBA team, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we played them four times in the finals, and they beat us three times. Um, And I, I just... I don't like to see the same teams win every single year. Unless, of course, it's my team, obviously. But, yeah, I would say that I I still hold a lot of disdain towards them. I also would agree. I respect the team a little bit more. I They are still 100% my most disliked team. But I respect specifically Steph Curry more. However, the one man on that team that you couldn't pay me to respect is Draymond Green. I can't stand him. I can't stand seeing Agreed. him win. And I can't stand seeing him speak. It drives me nuts. I I remember when the top 75 uh, players were announced for the 75th anniversary. And Draymond said that if he hadn't been suspended in 2016, the Warriors would have won. And he would have won finals MVP. And he would have made top 75. Wrong. And I disagree with that. I really do. If you're not going to put Dwight Howard on there, you can't put Draymond Green on there. No. Draymond Green was so far off from that list, he might have been on Mars if the list was <laughs> Earth. Hey, he finally had a good game in the finals, though. I'll give him that, but... but no, I completely agree with you. Um, they're still definitely my least favorite team in the NBA because of the Cavs rivalry, because they win it time and time and again, four times in eight years, like I said. Um, but I do hold more respect for them. And really, it's every single player except Draymond Green. I even respect... Other than Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and even Steve Kerr, um, what he's been able to do in building this dynasty and doing what he's been doing in the playoffs has been really impressive to me. But Draymond Green, I just can't stand him. I will say that Clay Thompson annoys me a lot because let's not pretend that Clay Thompson isn't Steph Curry's sidekick. Like, I don't think Clay Thompson can carry a team to success by himself. And. The comments he made about LeBron a couple years ago when he said that LeBron was, like, whining or something, and then they blew a 3-1 lead. <laughs> and then he he said that Boston fans were real classy, but, like, with a lot of sarcasm, like, his own fan base isn't the exact same, if not worse. Yeah, he's definitely flawed, especially during his, like, post-game comments. But I do hold respect for him as a player, even though this... This finals, he wasn't really that guy. Right. I don't think. But I did not see Game 6 Clay. I saw Game 6 Curry. Yeah, Game 6 Curry definitely showed up. Game yes. 6 Warriors dynasty really showed up. The whole team was amazing during Game 6. And the Warriors are the NBA champions. We're going to head to break, though. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other team who participated in the NBA finals. Of course, talk about the Celtics. You guys have some words to say about Jason Tatum, so oh. we'll get into that as yes, we well. Do. And also talk about last week's Around the Rue with some other NBA news. Talk about the draft, talk about the offseason, all that and more when we come back on SPT. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is was and ever will be. My name is Jake Marin, the host of your show today. Joining me are Logan Congrove. What's up? And Jeff Longville. Braun the Goat. That he is. I completely agree with that Broncos statement. Country. Let's rock. <laughs> what did you say? 
making fun of Jeff. That video. I love Broncos Wilson. country, bro. Insane. Russell Wilson. Country. He's he's awkward sometimes, but my quarterback is better than your quarterback. That's all I have to say. Well, we don't even have one right now. We'll <laughs> exactly. Get to that. Exactly. Yeah, we'll get to that in about half an hour. In our third segment, we'll talk about the Browns and Deshaun Watson. But let's talk about the Celtics because I know you guys have a lot to say about Jason Tatum. Is he that guy? Is he baby Kobe, as Marcus Anderson famously said on these airwaves? What do you guys think about Jason Tatum? Marcus Anderson, Alex Henry, what are you thinking now about Jason Tatum, huh? Jason Tatum turned into Chris Humphreys in that series. Sheesh. Garbage. No, he is not that guy, and no, he is not baby Kobe. No, no. (laughs) So, um... Jason Tatum averaged 36 minutes in the regular season, and that went up to 41 in this series. So more minutes, you'd think your stats would be a little bit better. But Jason Tatum went from averaging 27 points a game in the regular season to 21.5 in this series, 45% field goal to 37, 85% from the free throw line to 66, averaged four turnovers per game in this series, and had a plus-minus of negative 3.5. And in Game 6... A.K.A. the biggest game of his career, shot 6 for 18 for 13 points, 1 of 4 from 3, and 5 turnovers. Garbage. Jason Tatum is not that guy. Dude, I think they could have put Deuce Tatum on the floor and he would have done more than Jason. <laughs> Still beat the Heat. I don't. We're not talking about the Heat right now. Good for them, but they got whooped by the Warriors. And Jason Tatum looked like an absolute child. This is what I will say, though, about the Heat, even though I don't want to admit this. Given what Jimmy Butler did... In Game 5 of the 2020 Finals, Jimmy Butler would not have played like this. No. No, he would have played much better than this. I'll be fully honest. I think that the I think the Heat were banged up after that Celtics series. If they would have advanced from Game 7, I do think the Celtics gave the Warriors more than the Heat would have at that point. But, like, honest. as an individual, I think Jimmy would have played better than Jason Oh, definitely. Tatum. Yeah, I'd probably say the same thing. But Jason Tatum, the first player in NBA history with 100 or more turnovers in a single postseason. And you mentioned his stats in the finals compared to the regular season, Jeff. And honestly, the argument could be made that Jalen Brown was the best Celtic during the finals. I would definitely agree with that. Even Al Horford had a pretty good series Mm -hmm. as well. And Jason Tatum just isn't, isn't the guy you can rely on each game to have a great performance every now and then he'll be good and shoot the ball well but then you'll have his performances where he's below 50 percent shooting that was most of his performances and he's not even the leading scorer on his own team that he i would say even got to the finals and which is what went wrong for the celtics are they too young was there something else what do you guys think so For me, I wouldn't say it was because they were too young. They were just too inexperienced. Nobody for Boston had any finals experience until this series, and Curry, Clay, Draymond Green were there for the sixth time. And Ime Udoka was in his rookie year as a head coach, and Steve Kerr, again, was here in the finals for his sixth time. Golden State, at this point, were three-time champions. Boston has no champions on their roster, so just a lack of inexperience. I definitely would agree. It's not a matter of being too young. It's a matter of inexperience. And when your best player shoots six for 18, that doesn't really set a winning tone on the floor. And it hurt them because everybody, they they look to 
like Jake alluded to, obviously Jalen Brown is very good. Marcus Smart is very good. Al Horford is very good. But everybody looks to Jason Tatum as the leader. And Jason Tatum is supposed to be the guy setting the tone. And Jason Tatum sure set the tone, and it was, we're terrible. And they got ran off the court. And I'll say this, even though Logan and I are over here roasting Jason Tatum, I want to give the Celtics a lot of credit because in like my preseason analysis for the NBA, I didn't even have the Celtics as a legit playoff team. I thought maybe they'd be a playing team or at the best an eight seed. And I didn't here, they, here they are in the NBA Finals with a rookie head coach. So props to the Celtics for accomplishing that. Yeah, props to the Celtics. But I do think they're a little too young. And being too young and being inexperienced, definitely um, there's something to both of them here. But I don't think they have the players that can go out and have a dominant night in a high-pressure situation. Their best player in Jason Tatum didn't play well. He shot terribly when games were on the line, especially in the fourth quarter. His fourth quarter field goal percentage was terrible in the finals. And this team, they have a nice balance between Brown, Tatum, and Smart, like you said, Logan. But I doubt each one of their abilities to completely take a game over like some Warrior players can. If you talk about the Warriors, Game 6 Clay is definitely a thing. It wasn't in the finals, but... Clay can take over a game. Steph Curry, we've seen it time and time again. And Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, they might not be able to take over a game, but they're guys there that can definitely contribute on the offensive side of the floor. Talking about the Celtics, though, what's their future look like in terms of being contenders in the Eastern Conference? Jeff, you said you had them eighth or even a play-in or play-in team before the season started. Mm-hmm. Looking towards next season, where do you have the Celtics? They can definitely build on this unexpected success from this year because not just me, but I don't think a lot of people had the Celtics, you know, being as good as they were, let alone going to the finals. So they can really build on this. Um, And I like Brad Stevens in the role of GM. He added, he brought back Al Horford. He added Derek White midseason. I think that they'll still finish as a top seed in the East. And they, I would say that they're still a contender for sure. I would also say they're still a contender. I don't think they'll have as much success next season. I'm not saying they don't have a shot to have any success next season, but Jeff and I were talking about it before the show. The The league is going to be so competitive next year. I think this draft is going to make a difference. This free agency period is going to make a huge difference. Lots of teams are going to have players on the move. There's a, multiple superstars that I believe are going to be on the move, and I think the Eastern Conference is just going to get stronger, and teams like Teams like the Nets, the Nets are not playing that bad again next season. There's no chance because they'll have Kyrie the entirety of the season. Although, hot take, he is one of my players I think could potentially be on the move. But I think they definitely can still have success, but I think it will be less likely. Yeah, not much to add to what you guys said. Personally, I have the Celtics finishing third or maybe fourth, maybe fifth in the Eastern Conference by like the last position they would be would be five. But I have them third or fourth in the East, not really regressing too much. I do think they can build off of their run this season. A second-year head coach is going to be better, and more chemistry and more experience from this NBA Finals is probably going to do a lot of good rather than bad heading into next season. But let's talk about next season, though, as the Grizzlies extended 
who was your coach of the year, Jeff, mm-hmm. Taylor Jenkins, to a multi-year contract. Last season's 56-26 and 26 record was tied for the best in Grizzlies history. He has made the postseason both years since he took over in 2019. What do you guys make of this multi-year contract extension of one of the best coaches in the NBA? I love the move. Uh, ever since he's been there, he's built a great culture, um, and they've improved every year. Last year, like you said, they finished with the second-best record in the NBA, and they stayed afloat without their best player in John Morant. I have them finishing as a higher seed in the West next year. I don't know about second in the West because I think that the West is going to be very competitive next year, but they're going to be a playoff team for sure. Props to him. Definitely deserves the extension. Uh, Building a team like the Grizzlies have right now, keeping keeping up with the development of John Morant, having guys like Dylan Brooks come out and play well. Uh, I definitely think that the Grizzlies have a high future. I could see them being maybe a three or four seed in the West. So I think that the Suns are going to regress next year. And like you said, Jeff, even without John Morant, they were still a dangerous team in the regular season under Taylor Jenkins. So with Jaron Jackson Jr., with Desmond Bain, and John Morant, I think there's a possibility that this team finishes first in the West next season. In a very competitive conference, I think it could happen. I'm not saying it will, but I think it. I, I could see a path to the Grizzlies getting the first seed in the Western Conference next season. Talking about the Suns, though, I do think they're going to regress, and they're actually considering moving off from DeAndre Ayton. The Suns are reportedly going to have serious sign-and-trade talks about Ayton this offseason. What do you guys make of this news, and do you think the Suns are heading in the right direction here? So DeAndre Ayton is wanted by a ton of teams, so the Suns could really get something good back for him. He is a restricted free agent, so they can control whether or not they keep him or not. Sign-and-trade is definitely a big possibility because that way they can better control their salary cap. Um, But he also is the third-best player on the team, so is it worth giving him a max contract, which is what he wants? And I don't know if I would be willing to give a max contract to my third-best player who, at times, didn't play like it. So I could definitely see them moving on from Aiton, given all the possibilities that they have with this transaction. Well, do you think he's deserving of that max contract if he does go to another team and he is that maybe one or two guy? I would have to see him play for a year first in a bigger role, see if he plays like a max contract player all the time, and then I would decide what to do with him. I would also agree. I don't think right now he's deserving of that contract. I do think the Suns are going to have to do something because that collapse was embarrassing by them in the playoffs. And DeAndre Aiden didn't even look like he was on the floor. So I don't know how you can give a guy a max contract after that. I don't blame the Suns for wanting to maybe look into options for him. I don't think the Suns should give him up for any small deal, though. I think that he has enough value that they could get something major in return that can keep them afloat. I think that the Suns can still be successful, but they can't rely. You cannot rely on Chris Paul as much as you used to. Chris Paul is aging as much as he's a great player, still can play. But the playoffs prove that you really can't rely on him. And if Devin Booker is off and they put all that pressure on Chris Paul, it's not going to work for them. They're going to have to, if they move Aiton, they're going to have to find somebody who can really pick up the slack because I just don't think it can be Chris Paul this season. Yeah, I agree with you there. Another team that might look to 
move away from one of their star players is the Atlanta Hawks. They're considering moving John Collins via the ringer. The Hawks are trying to acquire a lottery pick by, quote, outright trading John Collins or also including the 16th pick. And, quote, what do you guys make of the Hawks looking to move John Collins? I'll be honest. This really confuses me. I don't. I don't think the Hawks need to move John Collins. I know they took a step back this year from last year when they went all the way to the East Finals, but they still have a solid roster, and they exceeded those expectations uh, two years ago. So it doesn't really make sense to me to move on from your second-best player. And also, John Collins was hurt for a good part of the season, and the Hawks were still able to rally and make the playoffs. And they just signed him to a $125 million deal last year. So I don't know why they would sign him to all that money and then move on from him so quickly. It just doesn't make sense to me. I honestly always kind of thought John Collins was a little bit overrated anyways. So them moving him doesn't affect me that much. But I do agree with Jeff. Why pay him all that money if you were just going to try and move him? Because now if there are other people out there like me who think he's overrated, then why why would they want to pick up a $125 million contract for a guy that isn't even really that big of a difference maker. He's a great player, but I don't think he's that big of a difference maker for someone to take on in a $125 million contract. And maybe that's what the Hawks are realizing. Like, oh, crap, we paid this guy $125 million, and he's an average player. I actually think John Collins is a little underrated. Really? Not really overrated. I think he has the talent to be that number two piece behind Trey Young for the Hawks. But this isn't the first time that the Hawks have come out and said, hey, we might try and shop John Collins in the NBA, it's happened before, and I don't know what that does to his confidence and what that does to his chemistry with the team. I think if they just keep John Collins behind Trey Young, and like Jeff said, I'm kind of confused by this as well. I think you keep Trey Young, I think you keep John Collins, and make something out of that and then build your team around them. I think they could have success doing that. But I've seen some articles out there saying that the Hawks can't really outright sign a star player and they might look to trade Collins to a team like the Kings to get into the lottery to potentially draft a star player to play alongside Trey Young rather than actually going outright and trading a star player. They want to acquire that lottery pick. I could see trading John Collins to the Kings to make that happen, but we'll see exactly what the Hawks are going to do with John Collins. So for me, the only reason I could see that they want to trade John Collins is to free up cap space because $125 million is a lot of money, obviously. But if you're a team who is as young as the Hawks in a lot of areas, I don't know if drafting a player to be you know, the next second best player behind Trey Young is the right move. I would rather trade him for an established player. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just the report said they want right. that lottery pick. Boy, and, trading getting traded yeah. to the Kings would make me want to cry. <laughs> that would... That'd be unfortunate. Yeah, it really would be. Let's talk about the Mavericks, though. Uh, Jeff, I think one of your favorite teams or one of your favorite players on that team in Luka Doncic, having another addition to their team as they traded for Christian Wood. The Rockets sent Wood to the Mavericks for the number 26 pick, Boban Marjanovic. There you go. Got that right? Got it. Boban Marjanovic, Trey Burke, Sterling Brown, and Marquise Chris. What did you guys make of this trade? Who won? Any grades? What did you guys think? So this is a really good start for the Mavericks to get Luka more help. They didn't really give up any real rotation players, even though I love Boban with I all my too. heart. Um, but he wasn't a real rotation piece, so that's okay. And if you're a team like the Mavericks, 
you're not really in need of a pick. I don't think going younger makes you better necessarily. Uh, so I don't mind that. And Christian Wood averaged 18 points and 10 rebounds per game last year. And I would expect Dallas to move on from Dwight Powell some t- uh, at some point during this offseason. Because uh, I think Maxi Kleba is better than Dwight Powell. Um, it's a good start, like I said, for Dallas. But I really want somebody else who can take the pressure off of leading the offense um, for Luka. And Brunson and Dinwiddie were inconsistent at that last year. So I want somebody who's more consistent at that uh, to help Luka out. I would agree. I think it's a step in the right direction with Christian Wood. And the, like Jeff alluded to, the Mavericks didn't really give up anybody that has any significance to their immediate rotation. Boban and Luca was cool for a while, good friends, but good friends don't last in a business like the NBA. And Christian Wood's a step in the right direction. It's not everything they need to do. I don't look at him as being some big major help for them, but he definitely puts them in the right direction. Yeah, Wood... Switched to playing center in 2020 when he joined the Houston Rockets. But he's still a threat when it comes to shooting, even from behind the arc. You guys have said it's a step in the right direction. But what else should the Mavs do this offseason? Again, just add somebody who can take the pressure off of leading the offense for Luka. Uh, and that way he doesn't have to do as much. Do you have a name in mind? Um, Before Zach Levine... Before he was um, most likely to re-sign with Chicago, I thought Levine was a good name. Uh, Donovan Mitchell would be a little bit difficult to pull off, I think, but maybe one of those guys. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think those are like the only two guys that are really being shopped right now mm-hmm. or star players that can make a huge difference on whatever team they go to. Uh, Logan, what do you think the Mavs should do this offseason? I think they should find a way to get Rudy Gobert on their team. I would actually really like that as well. So Donovan Mitchell stays with the Jazz and they move... Yes, as much as I would like to see Donovan Mitchell end up with the Heat, I think they are more likely to hang on to Donovan Mitchell than they are Rudy Gobert. And I could definitely see Rudy Gobert ending up on the Mavericks, especially because he offsets a guy like Luka being a rim protector, which is what we talked about before. We need to get Luka a rim protector. And I think Rudy Gobert would be the perfect move for them. Let me retract my statement. I think that... If Christian Wood hadn't ended up on the Mavericks, I'd be all in for Rudy Gobert because we do need more rim protection. But given that we would acquire another dude that plays the exact same position, I don't think it would really make a whole lot of sense. You don't think they could move Christian Wood back to his old position, maybe? I guess they could, could. but it doesn't really solve their main issue of getting somebody to take the pressure off of Luka offensively. Because, like, Christian Wood and Rudy Gobert are not guys that you can give the ball to and say, all right, make a play all the time. You know what I'm saying? That's valid. That's a valid point. I get it, but I do like the Rudy Gobert trade just because it adds not only rim protection, but defense. You look at what they have right now with Doncic, with Dinwiddie, with Wood. I think they should prioritize re-signing Jalen Brunson this offseason as well. You throw Brunson into that mix as well. They're a great offensive team, but we saw how many points they gave up to the Warriors in the playoffs, they need help defensively, and I don't think Wood provides that in the center position. I think if they move Wood over, get Rudy Gobert, it doesn't necessarily take pressure off of Luka on the offensive side, but they do have some weapons, some role players, and adding that defensive-minded center could make a huge huge deal for the Mavericks heading into next season. But, Jeff, I'm going to kick it to you here. 
because you have a very special segment here on today's show. I didn't even realize it, but the NBA draft is this week. And, Jeff, I hear you have an NBA mock draft, so I will kick it to you and let you take it right away. Alrighty, so starting off with the number one overall pick, the Orlando Magic are going to select Jabari Smith out of Auburn. To me, he's the best all-around player in the draft. I could see them go Chet Holmgren here, but uh, because Mobamba is a restricted free agent, but I think Smith is the right pick here. Average 17 points per game, seven and a half rebounds per game, and shot 42% from three. So I have Jabari going number one, number two, Oklahoma City Thunder. Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga. They need more size, and OKC can help Holmgren develop his game and his body to perform better in the NBA. Averaged 14 points per game and 10 rebounds per game and shot 61% from the field and 39% from three as a big guy. Number three, the Houston Rockets. I have them taking Paolo Bancaro out of Duke. To me, he's the best available player at three. 17 points per game, eight rebounds per game, three assists per game. Solid all-around player and could form a very good young duo with Jalen Green in Houston. Number four, the Sacramento Kings, Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. The Kings just traded away a guy who can play the one and two in Tyrese Halliburton. So now they're going to draft a guy that can play one and two to make up for that mistake. Ivey averaged 17 points per game and shot 36% from three and should fit nicely next to De'Aaron Fox. Number five, the Detroit Pistons, Keegan Murray out of Iowa. Detroit has a lot of young talent, so it makes sense for them to add the best available player here. Uh, Last year, they were 28th in the NBA in points per game at under 105, and Murray is one of, if not the best, all-around scorer in this draft. He averaged almost 24 points per game and shot 55% last year and 40% from three, so they take him there to help with their offensive woes. Number six, Indiana Pacers, Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. They're going to look to add more size after losing DeMontis Sabonis last season, and they're going to look to address the power forward position over the center position. And Sohan is 6'9", 230 pounds. Is a raw prospect, but his production picked up in the postseason, which shows that he's not afraid of the bright lights. Number seven, Portland Trailblazers. Dyson Daniels out of the G League. The Blazers have a lot of holes to fill, so they're going to take the best available player here. And Daniels filled up the stat sheet in the G League last year with 12 points per game, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals, and has good size and can defend as well. Number 8, the New Orleans Pelicans, Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky. New Orleans needs a more natural fit at point guard. While Washington played a lot of shooting guard in college, he's still a solid floor general, averaged 4 assists per game, and could allow teams could allow the team's two best players passers from last season and CJ and Brandon Ingram to focus more on scoring. Number nine, the San Antonio Spurs, Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. San Antonio has a lot of young pieces and could benefit from taking the best player available. And to me, that's Matherin here. He's incredibly well-rounded, 18 points per game, five and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, shot 45% from the field and 37% from three. And a moment that really sticks out to me when I talk about Matherin is at the end of the game versus TCU in the tournament. He played with so much effort and made all the right plays to get Arizona the victory. So that really made him one of my favorite players in the draft. And I think the Spurs take him at nine. Number 10, the Washington Wizards are going to take A.J. Griffin out of Duke. It makes sense for Washington to take a point guard, but they're, this is not a very point guard heavy draft. So I think they'll take the best available player here. So they're going to go with Griffin, who only played one year in college, but has good size and was relatively efficient. 
His defense does need some work, though, but I still think they take him here. And we're going to skip all the way to number 14 with our very own Cleveland Cavaliers, who I have us taking Ochai Abaji out of Kansas. He adds wing depth scoring and three-point shooting, averaged 19 points per game last year and shot 41% from three and can defend as well. But I could also see us taking Malachi Branham out of the Ohio State University as they're very similar prospects. And Branham has a lot more potential to develop than Ochai Abaji because Abaji is a four-year player at Kansas. Branham only played one year in college. Um, But with our current roster, I think it makes more sense for us to take a more NBA-ready player than a project player. But I will not be upset at all if we take Malachi at 14. And skipping all the way to number 39 for our first second-round pick, I was taking Kennedy Chandler out of Tennessee if he's available to give us more depth at the point guard position, which we didn't have a lot of last year. And then our last pick, number 56, Travion Williams out of Purdue to give us more depth at center, which we also didn't have last year. And he's a very good passer for a big man as well. Wow. Very good. What a great breakdown there from Jeff Longville, our bracketologist here and NBA guru, just basketball guru in general. Um, Logan, I, do you have anything to add? I certainly don't. This draft should be entertaining, as it sounds. Honestly, you covered everything, Jeff. That was a <laughs> fantastic breakdown. Much more research than I've ever done on NBA any NBA draft in my entire lifetime. But I agree with all of your picks, and I especially agree with the analysis of Oshai Abaji or Malachi Brandon. I wouldn't be upset if we took Branham, but I do think that it makes more sense to take Ochai right now for the position that the Cavaliers are in. Right. So you would pick Ochai over Malachi? Yes. What would you as do, As much Jeff? as I don't want to say that. I also would, but, like, if we don't, if we draft Malachi over Ochai, I'm, I'm going to be more happy because of that hometown, like, my favorite, one of my favorite, a player from my favorite college team is going to be on my favorite NBA team. Right. But I do recognize that Abaji is the right pick here. Do you think the Cavs could potentially move back from the first round? I know a report came out yesterday saying they might look to get back in the draft and not pick at number 14. I I don't hate that move because, you know, with a team with a roster as good as us, we don't really need the 14th pick. We can afford to trade back and pick up some more pieces or more picks or whatever. So I don't mind that move. All right. Well, I didn't, I didn't know it was a rule in the NBA that you can't trade picks until the actual draft. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit annoying. I don't like that. It's also weird that the draft is a week after the NBA Finals. Yeah. The reason I didn't even recognize that heading in to today's show. So I'm happy we got a little bit of coverage from that from Jeff. When we come back from break, though, we're going to wrap up our NBA, NBA conversation by predicting one major offseason move. Also talking about the Utah Jazz rebranding. Give our thoughts on that. Obviously talk about next season's finals matchup as well. And then get right into the NFL. Talking about Cleveland quarterbacks and other news in the National Football League. What's going on everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Marin, the host of your show today. I'm joined by my analyst first, Jeff Longville. Blake Wesley getting in the green room over E.J. Liddell makes no sense. And, of course, my rival, unfortunately joining us, Logan Congrove. He calls her, baby. 
Yeah. Oh, why? I just I just really don't understand it. But let's talk not about the Heat because they're relevant right now. They are, unfortunately. Let's predict one major offseason move. I told you guys to come up with at least one move that would happen this offseason, one that would potentially break the NBA a little bit. Logan, I'll go to you first. Donovan Mitchell gets traded to the Miami Heat. We just uh, said we weren't talking about the yeah, Heat. We, yeah. Well, you're wrong. That's my offseason move. I think I can tell you exactly what I think the move will be. I think they will package Tyler Hero. I like Tyler Hero, but I would give him up at this point for for a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and maybe one or two draft picks. Potentially a guy like Gabe Vincent thrown in there, too. I think or Gabe Vincent or Max Struess. I like them both, but if it meant Donovan Mitchell, I would do it. Jeff, before you give your trade, what do you think of Logan's? You know, I don't hate it, but I don't know if Utah wants to trade their best player for a bunch of role players. I mean, it's it's a, it's a pretty big haul as far as, like, materials are concerned, but you're not getting anything as close to Donovan Mitchell back. Okay, what trade. if I said that instead of, like, Gabe Vincent or Max Struess, what if I said still getting a, maybe one or two first-round picks, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and you can have Kyle Lowry? Again, I mean, that's a lot right there. It is, but I mean, you're gonna if the if the Jazz move on from Mike Conley, they'll replace an old point guard with an old point guard. So that's true. I don't know. All right, Jeff, what is your major off season move? So mine also involves Donovan Mitchell, and I said it last week, but I really think it has a good chance of happening. Where Donovan Mitchell is traded to the Thunder for Lou Dort and the 12th pick. It gives OKC an established star to lead a young team, and it gives Utah a draft pick and cap space. Well, look at this. I also <laughs> have Donovan Mitchell in my major offseason move here. And it was also a trade that I mentioned on last week's show. I mentioned how ESPN's Brian Windhorst said that the 76ers president, Daryl Morey, has big plans to acquire another star this offseason to add to their current stars in James Harden and Joel Embiid. So the package, like I said last week, is Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, a 2024 first-round pick, and a 2026 first-round pick for Donovan Mitchell. Go ahead, Jeff. See, again, I believe my my statement last week was that that's too much. It was. For a guy that has not made it out of the second round. Um, But, you know, if Utah pulls it off, good for them. And I'm, I think it could work for Philadelphia to an extent as well, but I think they're giving up too much there. I think the 76ers are desperate enough to make it happen, even if they technically lose the trade by giving up too much. Mm-hmm. And the 76ers would benefit in the short term by having three stars on their team, potentially winning the East, potentially winning the NBA Finals, whereas the Jazz would be in a comfortable spot rebuilding after giving away Donovan Mitchell, potentially even keeping uh, Rudy Gobert, and having those having Tyrese Maxey, who's a young star right now, and two future first-round picks, I think it works out for both sides. So hear me out. I forgot about this one. I'm going to read the exact quote. This is my other major off-season move, and I alluded to it earlier. From A quote from Bill Simmons. Kyrie Irving. How about Lowry and Duncan Robinson and a first for Kyrie and Joe Harris? Kyrie and Heat culture, the sky is the limit. And I would also agree the sky is the limit if Kyrie Irving was, ends up in Heat culture. What was the – okay, first off, you don't like Kyrie, but now you want him on your team. He's a great no player. Sense. I think he's weird and annoying. <laughs> I think he's weird and annoying, but he's way better than Kyle Lowry. 
All right, we're just not going to. I would, I'll say that's, that's accurate, yes, but, I mean, I don't think Brooklyn wants to trade its second-best player for Kyle Lowry and give up their best overall shooter in Joe Harris for Kyle Lowry, who was it, Duncan, Duncan Robinson, Robinson, and a first-round pick, though. Brooklyn doesn't need first-round picks. But what is the first-round pick? Is it, like, is it this year's first-round pick? Future. Or? Okay. Like 23 or 24. But even how high. Also, yeah, but that gonna pick's going to be pretty low. Right. Like, if That's the Heat are still going to be playing well, then it's going to be When we win the championship, pick. I guess it would be pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that the trade that you proposed is... <laughs> it's flawed. Is void. No, it's a good void. trade, but oh, God. it's a great trade. The pick is just depends where it would be. I think I could see it happening, and I'd be cool with it. (laughs) Well, trades aside, let's talk about Donovan Mitchell. We talked about him, but let's talk about his team, the Utah Jazz, as they just rebranded. And I don't know, real quick, I'll just say this. I don't know how the Utah Jazz managed to bring back one of the most iconic (laughs) uniforms of all time, and at the same time, Introduced some of the worst uniforms of all time. I was saying it, it the blows same my mind. thing to my roommate the other day. I was like, that jersey and that photo with these other three, like, Pixar looking jerseys, <laughs> AAU jerseys, practice jerseys, is unbelievable because that purple mountains jersey is so cool. It's the best. Is it the best jersey in the NBA it's right now? Definitely. It's one of them the for sure. It has to be and the best. Their other jerseys right look like. I could have drawn them on like word art. Not even that, but the colors are just terrible. The the Highlight green one, yellow. the green one is really bad. That's by far the worst one. I don't know if I've seen the green one. That's what I, the highlighter green one. Okay, yeah, the highlighter yellow. Yeah, are they promoting it as green or they better not be? I don't that's know. Not I just green. called it green. <laughs> yeah, just but the highlighter yellow that they're using is so bad. <laughs> It makes no sense to their colorway. Yeah, the courts it's, look Yeah, it's cool, not the right yellow. But yeah, it, it's really not. Jeff, any thoughts on these uniforms? So, okay. I will admit that they're all, besides the purple one, obviously, they're all boring. I don't mind the black one, though. The rest of them are bad, but the black, the black one, one's okay. I, I like. It's just the black letters of Utah across it. There's no... I mean, there's it no, is boring, yes. There's no character. There's no life to it. Nothing about that. Kind of like the Jazz as an organization right now. They are a boring U- organization. I mean, or Utah as a state. Right. No offense to people living in Utah, but as Utah as a state, kind of. Yeah. But. but Salt Lake City hosted the Olympics I mean, for some reason at one point. They're actually hosting an upcoming UFC pay-per-view, it doesn't, too. So. Well, that's a little bit... That's not as big as the Olympics, but... <laughs> I mean, know. it's still it's it's still a pretty big card. It's not, Of course, not as big as... A right national event like the Olympics, but right. or global. Like event. you would have a wrestling pay per view in Salt Lake City. You wouldn't have like WrestleMania in Salt Lake City, though. Oh yeah, no chance, no chance. But I, I just can't stand these uniforms. The highlighter yellow is terrible. Hopefully they wear those purple mountain uniforms All every game, <laughs> just every game. And I guess they're not going anywhere. They pretty much made a huge statement that the purple is not going to leave again. Good. So good for them in that aspect, but. The sooner the better when they get rid of those Hyler yellow uniforms. Let's talk about next season's uh, next season of the NBA, but next season's finals matchup. Who do you guys have in the finals in the next season, the 2023-24 NBA season? Logan, I want you to go first because I already know half of it. I don't think you do. I think you're wrong. Okay, I think, interesting. 
I think that next season's NBA Finals will be the Warriors will make it back as much as I can't stand them. The Warriors are going to make it back, and I think they'll be playing the Brooklyn Nets. I think the Nets have – they're not going to play the way that they did last season. As much as I just said I could see Kyrie getting traded, but I also can see them not trading him anywhere. And if they don't trade Kyrie, if they stand pat with everything they have, Ben Simmons maybe finally will commit to playing basketball for the first time in his entire life. But hopefully, I mean, I'd like to see the Heat get there, but if they if they don't make any move to help Jimmy Butler, they're not going to get there again. They won't even get back to where they were. I'm I'm finally scaling back. I'm I like being funny about it, but I'm I'm going to give you guys a realistic take that if they don't do anything to help Jimmy Butler, they stay the same, and I think they regress, actually. Yes, but he... I think that the Nets will be in the NBA Finals against the Warriors, and I have the Nets beating them. Yeah, the famous uh, Jimmy Needs Help rants from a couple weeks ago from Logan. Uh, Jeff, what's your Finals matchup? So let me comment on Logan's first. Due to my personal like feelings towards those organizations and players... That would be the worst finals matchup for me. Oh, I, I didn't would, say I liked it. I would, I would love it. I know you would, but I I'm a big Kyrie fan. fan, but the storytelling, I'm a wrestling fan, the storytelling of KD against the Warriors in the finals beautiful. It's terrific storytelling, but yeah. for me, I would I would hate every second. I would of actually it. watch the media the game. would eat that up too. Like oh, yeah. is would. Kevin Durant that good? Can he beat the Warriors? Right. So, mine, I have the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Denver Nuggets. Wow. Now, I believe that if Chris Milton had not gotten hurt, the Bucks probably would have won it all. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, their big three will still be under contract. I don't see them moving on from Brooke Lopez, who's in the last year of his contract. And I don't see Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton exercising their player options. And George Hill is still under contract as well. And for Denver, which I feel like is a bit of a surprise for a lot of people, I feel like... If Jamal Murray and MPJ are healthy, there's no reason they can't contend because Nikola Jokic has carried this team by himself the past two years or so. And the last time that they were all healthy together, they were in the Western Conference Finals and overcame two three-to-one deficits in the playoffs. So they have that, that, those intangibles to compete in the playoffs, I believe. So they'll have a core of Jokic, Murray, MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Monte Morris, Bones Highland, and Will Barton, but he is in the last year of his contract. They also have two first-rounders this year, and I believe that they could trade one or both of them to acquire a more established player. So I have the Nuggets making it out of the West. So you have the reigning MVP getting to the finals out of the West. Mm -hmm. I have the player that should have won the MVP in the finals next year. But didn't. I have a matchup between the 76ers and the Warriors next season in the finals, mainly because I think that this Donovan Mitchell trade could actually happen. And Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Joel Embiid would be a scary team in the East and a scary team overall in the NBA. That's why I have the 76ers and the Warriors in the finals, and I wouldn't hate seeing that matchup either. Something something fresh, at least on the Eastern Conference side, but I do see the Warriors somewhat easily returning to the finals? I think that they're definitely a favorite. I don't right. think it's definitive, though, because, again, Memphis is going to be better. If Denver's healthy, they're going to be better. The Clippers are going to be better. The Lakers, it's a big if, but if they fix their roster, they'll contend. There's a, a lot of competition in the West right now. All right, well, let's transition 
from the NBA talk. We've been talking about it for over an hour now. Let's get into the NFL, the National Football League, a segment that everybody looks forward to the most every single week. And let's talk about my favorite player in the NFL, Baker Mayfield. Uh, CBS Sports reported that, quote, there's urgency, end quote, on Carolina's side to trade for Mayfield with his salary remaining the biggest issue. Uh, Josina Anderson reported that the Panthers are still doing its due diligence in terms of looking into QB Baker Mayfield, both the football player and the person. And I tell you guys what, if Baker Mayfield becomes a Carolina Panther, that is my team. I am rolling with the Panthers all the way. They have Baker Mayfield. They have Higgins. Beautiful. I would buy a jersey and a heartbeat. Can I can I ask a question? <laughs> so you can ask as many questions as you I want understand to. Baker being one of your favorite players, but your absolute favorite player in the entire NFL is Baker Mayfield. He would have to be yes. Why? Well, Why? My favorite player would be from my favorite team, right? For the most Makes part. Makes sense. And those years that Baker Mayfield and what he did for us made him. But what about like Nick Chubb? Nick Chubb is definitely number two. Or like Miles Garrett. I love Miles Garrett, but he's never been like a guy that I go out and like actively root for by his jersey. Mm -hmm. He's not mainly because of of his position. I'll say like I've never been a defensive lineman like favorite guy. I've never held them in that kind of esteem. You guys remember when Denzel there was a Ward, time... though, I do like Denzel Ward a lot, too. You guys remember when there was a time when the only Browns jersey being sold was Joe Thomas? <laughs> I never owned one. I didn't either. No. But it was one of the only ones that was ever being sold. I rode with my Joe Hayden jersey Here's a, a long time. Here's my take on your, your little Baker Mayfield infatuation there. Uh, good for him. I cannot wait for him to be off our roster so I can stop hearing about it every day. Trade him somewhere. Trade him to the Panthers. Trade him to, like... Serbia, I don't care where he goes, just get him off our team. And when he goes to the Panthers, which is, I would agree is where he probably will end up, uh, it'll be a great storyline for the NFL when we play them week one in Carolina and Jacoby Brissett lights him up. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. We play them week one. <laughs> Jacoby Brissett. Notice how I said Jacoby Brissett, too. What? Oh, well, yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But, um, no, Baker Mayfield. With the Panthers, I'll buy a black jersey right away for the Carolina Panthers. They would have my entire fandom. Not my, I would still be the Browns number one, but the Panthers would literally be right there, and it would be enough for me to so who would keep you, up with the Panthers. So yeah, in that game, for? what are you rooting for? In week one, oh, man. It would if have you to, say the Panthers take that hat off. No, it would have to be the Browns. Okay. It would have to be the Browns, but... I would root for Baker Mayfield to throw for like 500 yards and 20 touchdowns. He won't. Is this college? What's that? Is this college? No, I mean, I'm just... I'm just Remember, he's got a torn labrum. I mean, do I have to tell you to go tear your labrum and play on the field again? <laughs> I mean, we've had this conversation before. No, I, I'm very excited about Baker Mayfield. Well, I, I think there might be a better position or a better team for him out there. We've talked about this in the past. Like, are the Panthers really a good team to go to if you're Baker Mayfield. Not really, but I'm just excited for him to get a fresh slate, go to a different team, play with Higgins, Please. a guy who has a connection and with. Robbie Anderson, his biggest fan. Well, I think Robbie <laughs> I think I'm about to retire. <laughs> that was not correlated to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> it's, it's funny that it might be. I agree with you guys on that, but there was no way that was actually, or it could have been, but it wasn't actually proven to be correlated to Baker Mayfield. It wasn't. 
It's still pretty funny. <laughs> oh, boy. It is, it is kind of funny. But, he, I mean, do he you, could even come to Cleveland in the trade with Baker. Do you Mayfield. think that if we do trade him to Carolina, do you think we somehow end up with Sam Darnold on our roster? Oh, boy. No, no. I mean, I don't think we're trying to ask for too much for Baker Mayfield. Cause we're, no. We're trying to trade Baker Mayfield not to get something in return. But it trying to get rid of Baker Mayfield. He um the Browns killed his trade value very bad. They did. We could have gotten a lot more yeah. for him, but they I think they should have gotten rid of him before we got Deshaun Watson because then at that point everybody was looking at as oh, they're trading their starting quarterback. They're trading someone they need. Now everybody in the league knows that we don't need him and he wants no part of our organization. We want no part of him. So they're just gonna offer us crap for him. Well, I would have preferred us not even get Deshaun Watson and just ride with Baker, but I do understand the point. Um, and honestly, just trading him to the Panthers, I could see Robbie Anderson being thrown in that deal because of what he's come out and said. I'd, I'd be cool with that, honestly. I'd be, I'd be cool with it for both sides, really for both sides. In Carolina, they have a a circus of a QB room, if I might say. <laughs> um, Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, he's probably going to be gone. Um, I'm back. Dude, I knew he would not be <laughs> anything for Carolina. But yeah. I'm very excited about Baker Mayfield finding a new, a new team and playing the Browns week one. I I don't know what I would do. It would be amazing to see. It would be real easy for me. It would be super really easy to watch him be garbage and watch Jacoby Brissett light him tough. up. It would be tough because watch the Miles Browns... Watch Miles Garrett hit him so hard oh, man. on the be, ground. That would be interesting. I don't think he would hit him hard. There's been actual players come out and say, like, Baker's my guy. Like, this whole perception, like... He wasn't one of them, though. He he came out and Miles he just Garrett. said, wish him the best. That's it. I mean, it. I don't... Okay, fine. But there have been guys who have said, yeah, Baker's my guy. And uh, the whole stigma of, like, the locker room being on Odell's side compared to Baker's side or just not being on Baker's side at all isn't necessarily true. There have been guys coming out saying, yeah, Baker's my guy. Wish him the best. Nick Chubb, Joel Batonio among those guys. But we'll see what happens. I don't like that matchup for Baker Mayfield in week one because of the Cleveland Browns defense. That might be tough for him. But we'll see We'll see what happens. But let's talk about Deshaun Watson. Um, you alluded to it, Logan. So last week we talked about the New York Times report that Watson booked massage appointments with at least 66 women over 17 months. The Texans also enabled some of the alleged sexual misconduct, and the Browns opted not to void his contract. This week, thankfully, no more bad news about his actual cases, but the NFL plans to argue for a significant suspension for alleged sexual assault and misconduct, according to Mark Mask of the Washington Post. The league will probably call for a one-year suspension, and that's what Watson's camps or Watson's camp believes. And some people believe that the NFL will deliberately overshoot their preferred suspension only for it to be reduced by a judge, which would likely need to impose a greater penalty if they want a full season suspension, but they don't want the case to go to court in the first place. Also, the NFLPA is getting involved, saying they're going to fight in court, saying the NFL owners don't get punished the same. It's honestly just a big mess. What do you guys make of the potential and oncoming suspension of Deshaun Watson? I think the Browns made an astronomical mistake bringing him on and giving him all that money before this is settled. It's it's really bad for PR, and I think, honestly, most Browns fans would say the same, that at this point, how can you really support this guy? 
with all this still going on. I If I were the Browns, I would not have made this move so early. It appears that they did little to no research on what was going on. They just wanted to make some some big splash, I would say. And right now it's really blowing up in their face and making the Cleveland Browns organization look like a whole lot of clowns. Um, I think that the NFLPA has a very good defense for Deshaun Watson as Robert Kraft, Dan Schneider, Jerry Jones were not punished all that much for violating personal conduct con- conduct policy. And as owners, those individuals should be subject to more punishment than the players. And it would not be fair for Deshaun Watson to be punished more severely according to how the NFL handled those previous incidents, which was incorrect, but that's what happened. So it would go against what the NFL has done um, in the past. So because of that, I could see Deshaun Watson Deshaun Watson only missing a few games. And in my opinion, if he's found guilty, I think Deshaun Watson should be kicked out of the NFL. Because if we can kick Michael Vick out of the NFL for being involved with dogfights, we can definitely kick Deshaun Watson out for this. But given what happened to the owners, it's a very good defense by the NFLPA. Yeah, I... I agree with you, and I don't think there would be much fighting against kicking him out if he is found guilty in any of the cases. And honestly, just it's a big mess that the Browns got themselves into. And not only is it bad PR, like you said, Logan, for the Browns, but if the NFL doesn't do something, and if they don't do something substantial, then it's going to be bad PR for the NFL too. Yes. And I don't like this whole statement that the NFL is going to overshoot their preferred suspension just that it gets reduced to what they actually want by a judge. So they look good by imposing a season-long suspension or even greater than a season-long suspension, only for that not to be the case and be reduced by the judge in the NFLPA. So I just wish the NFL would come out with a good statement, a, a, fair, um, a fair suspension of Deshaun Watson, and I don't know what that looks like. I don't really know all the details, but I know the NFL does. And I think if the NFL goes through and has a good reason to give Deshaun Watson the punishment that they want to give him, that that should be what stands. Even though I agree with you, Jeff, the NFLPA does have a good um, argument saying, hey, you're not treating the owners this way, so why should the players be treated the same? I understand that completely, and it's valid, but I just don't want the NFL to overshoot it just for good PR only for it to go down. It just, it takes away a lot from the actual case, in my opinion. And I went on a rant last week talking about how none of our opinions really matter. It's really the the now 25 women that really matter, but I'm not going to go on that rant today. I just think it's taking away from that and more so talking about the PR and the politics behind the actual suspension at hand. But we'll see what exactly happens for the Browns. Who do you guys think is going to start week one for the Browns? Jacoby Brissett. I completely agree. And I'm fine with that. From what I've been seeing in his mini camp drills, he can throw the ball. He's got he's got a really good deep ball. His passes are really accurate. He has some starting experience. Is he a starting quarterback for the future? No. But I do think he's more serviceable than picking up some scrub like third rounder that yeah. third, fourth rounder that has never played in an NFL game. So I'm okay with Brissett starting for a few games. But if we end up having to suspend Watson like very long term they need to they can't be per set forever. 
Yeah, if anything, it might be a, a lull year where Brissett does start the entire year and yeah. just kind of throw it away. If Watson does get suspended for an entire year, I mean, Jacoby Brissett starting week one. Do you agree with that, Jeff? So, from what I understand, the NFL would like this entire process to be completed before training camp. If it's not oh. handled um, before week one, I could see Deshaun Watson starting. But if not, if it is completed, then I'll I'll take Brissett. Yeah. Uh, for week 17, though, I have Watson starting because I don't think he'll be suspended for a full year. Yeah, I agree. I do have Watson starting in week 17 for the Browns uh, just because I think the NFL is going to overshoot. They're going to suspend him a year, and then it's going to get reduced to maybe you know that four to eight game range. I could also see him starting week 17. My original prediction for his suspension is eight games. I hate predicting a suspension for a case like this. It feels weird to me, but absolutely, I think that if it, a realistic suspension for him from what we've seen in the past and everything that's come out, it's probably eight games-ish, yeah. give Let's, or take. Let's talk about some alternate helmets in the NFL. A bit of a lighter topic here. And the Saints actually released a new alternate helmet. Um, it is completely black. Still has that Saint logo on the side, but they have a stripe down the middle with a bunch of different Saint logos throughout. What do you guys make of this new Saints alternate helmet? I really like it. I think it looks cool. It's different, and it's setting a precedence for the rest of the NFL that it is okay to do things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like the color black a lot, so obviously I'm very fond of it. And I think it looks really good, and I think it'll go well with the rest of their unis. So I kind of have an unpopular take about these Saints helmets. They're not my favorite. I like the precedent that you mentioned, Logan, because I want teams to be bold. I want them to go out and do things like this with with alternate helmets, but it just looks too busy to me. I like the stripe idea. I just in the pictures with uh with Cam Jordan in the white uniforms with that helmet on, it just did not look good. Um, it didn't match very well with the white uniforms. I think it might look good with their all black uniforms, but. With the white ones, I'm not a fan. I just think it's a little bit too busy. But that does lead us to our Around the Rue for the week, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. We have a fun one this week with a graphic that I'm about to post on Twitter. Four options. We're just asking, what's your favorite alternate helmet from the ones that are pictured? So letter A is the old creamsicle buccaneers helmets letter b is the one the saints just announced this week c is the kelly green eagles helmets and d is the red falcons helmets logan i'll send it to you first what is your favorite helmet the answer is a clear cut number c kelly green eagles helmets those are so cool to me and seeing guys like Jalen Hurts wearing them. I've seen like mock-ups of the uniforms that go with them with guys like Jalen Hurts in them. So cool to me and by far my favorite. All right, Jeff, I'll kick it to you. So, like I said, I do like the Saints helmet a lot, but my favorite is actually the Atlanta Falcons. I don't I don't really know why, but the how the red isn't like their traditional red. I really like that and I'm picturing it along like their uniforms for this season and I really that concept to me just seems really cool and very visually appealing so I'll go with the Falcons I just tweeted it on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports so you can see the graphic you can see all four helmets and you can also participate 
in the poll on the Twitter page as well. And Jeff, I actually agree with you here. D is my favorite logo. I just think the red Falcons helmet looks so sharp. And with the with their uniforms, it doesn't clash. It looks great. Whereas I think the Saints helmet clashes with their white uniforms. The Falcons helmet only benefits their current uniforms. I love that Falcons helmet. And if I was putting these in order, I would probably go DCBA if I were to put it in order. What do you guys have in terms of your order? I would say CDBA. I would agree. Okay. Jeff, how about you? I will take DBCA. Very high on the Saints. Mm -hmm. That's fair, I guess, but I don't like the creamsicle uniforms. I don't either. It's the good. uniforms are bad. The I know aren't too Marcus bad, Anderson loves them. I think they're it's very gross. overrated. Yeah. To me, the like a Pirates and Buccaneers, it's that dark colorway that looks good. And the flag that they have now looks great. Mm-hmm. Not this pirate with a sword in his mouth and the creamsicle colors. I'm not a fan. Kelly Green, bring those back. They're already confirmed to come back. Those are going to look great. D, though, that Falcons red. I can't wait to see that this season. I think they look the best. But before we go to break, we're already overdue. But I want to ask you guys, what would a Browns alternate helmet look like? I could see it still being that orange helmet, but throw the brownie guy on it. Okay. I wouldn't hate that, actually. So, like I told you before the show, Jake, when I play Madden, I don't even customize my uniforms. So, I'm I'm not the best at this. What, all I came up with was, instead of the helmet being orange with the brown stripe, just reverse it. That's all I got. See, that's my least favorite option. I agree. I think a brown <laughs> helmet would look terrible. Yeah. I agree, but, but I just I couldn't think of anything yeah. else. And I don't hate your yours slogans, Logan, but I think if you're doing an alternate helmet, it has to be kind of out there, like a lot different. Like the Falcons, completely different colors. Same with Kelly Green and the Cream School ones. Personally, I could see them doing like a white helmet with a orange stripe down the middle surrounded by brown stripes and maybe even throw like an orange face mask on oh, that's too. way better that's than cool what i came up with and like even if it looks too plain because it's white you could also throw like some brown letters on the side like our throwback uniforms had last season maybe do something like that i, don't, I wouldn't hate it i like the orange face mask idea with the white helmet because i think it would it would really pop on the field but We'll see. I think the Browns are one of those teams that don't necessarily need an alternate uniform or an alternate helmet. Definitely an alternate uniform. I want orange uniforms really bad, but we'll see what happens. When we come back, though, from break, it's my favorite segment of the week. Of course, it's the MLB segment with the Cleveland Guardians. We're going to do our Player of the Week segment, talk about some history that the Astros made, and get into some reverse power rankings, AL Central breakdown, all that and more coming up on Sports Power Talk. Don't go anywhere. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murray, the host of your show today, joined by my analyst first, Jeff Longville. Hola. And unfortunately, Logan Congrove. How's it going, Jake? (laughs) (laughs) You're a little mellow today, Logan. I am. Why's that? I don't know. I'm just feeling like being a little nicer to you. I've, I've listened to the last couple shows we've been on together, and that's fair. I don't want to lose my voice today. Like I'm just. Do you actually lose your voice from that heat ramp? I did. Oh. I went home and was unable to talk for a little bit. I love it. Hey, I mean, I I appreciate the passion. I just don't appreciate the logic. Okay, the touche with Baker Mayfield. 
What do you mean? Ooh. What do you mean, touche with it? Touche. I appreciate your passion, but I don't appreciate your logic for Baker Mayfield. There's actual all. logic. Okay. Okay. Whatever. All right. All right. All we're right. Not, we're not going to get into it. We have a <laughs> lot of baseball to talk about, and we're going to start with one of the most entertaining players in the MLB. Of course, his name is Shohei Otani. His future deal might shatter the salary record for American sports. According to John Heyman, he reported that many teams would offer Otani a four-year deal worth $200 million. What do you guys make of this, and is he deserving of this type of contract? I do not think he's deserving, to be honest. I think, like you've talked about a bunch the past few weeks, uh, he's not playing as well as he has in the past. I don't think his name really deserves to be up there with all these great players that are playing amazing right now. And I think that it is absurd to me that he's going to be the guy that breaks the salary cap. So, if you want to sign him to a big contract, I don't really have a problem with that. But the biggest in, is it just baseball or sports history? The report said it was it would shatter the salary record for American sports. Okay, so the, the biggest yeah. in American sports history. Uh, I think historically... He's great, but as of late, from what I understand, he's been struggling. I don't know if I'd give him $50 million a year. Right. And he's eligible for free agency in 2024. The Angels payroll is already high at $188.6 million. So I don't know if this deal could be done with the Angels, but I could see a way that they could make it work. For Shohei Otani, though, if I'm asking myself, does he deserve it? I'm going to look at his career stats. Batting. He has a career batting average of 263. He has 284 RBIs and 876 OPS with 106 home runs. He also pitches, so his career stats in pitching in 244 innings pitched. He has an 18 and 9 record, a 3.47 ERA with 299 strikeouts. If I'm looking at these stats separately, I'm saying okay, 263 batting average. That's average to maybe slightly above average for a player certainly not the second best player on my team type of batting average and then if I'm looking at pitching almost the same thing maybe a a second or third piece in the rotation with a 3.47 ERA not great but not really high either if I'm looking at Shohei Otani do I pay him this kind of deal like you said Logan I've been down on Otani for a while but I do think he does deserve this contract to an extent just because his value, whether you look at his batting or pitching stats separately, you have to look at them together because his package includes both. And he is a -a one-of-a-kind talent being able to do both batting and pitching. And you know what you're going to get with this guy. You're going to get excellence. You're going to get leadership in the dugout. And you're going to get a guy who can at least produce average to above average stats both on the mound and in the batter's box. I think he does deserve this contract, but I would be wary for the team that is going to put out that contract and build around Otani because if you're trying to build around him, paying him that four-year $200 million deal, building around him might be a little bit difficult. So we'll see what happens with one of the most electrifying players in the MLB, in Shohei Otani. Well, let's talk about Jeff's favorite team, the, uh, the America's team. Oh, all right, yeah. Let's not, Jake. Let's we not. can agree on this. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not America's team. Yeah, but just jealous. That's all. 
but they did make history this week. Luis Garcia and former guardian Phil Maton both pitched an immaculate inning in the same game on Wednesday as they each struck out the same three batters in only nine pitches. The batters were Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, and Brad Miller. Guys, what do you make of this insane stat that not only has it never happened in the MLB before with two immaculate innings in one game, but also the same three batters? It's pretty impressive. There's not much else to say about it other than it is extremely impressive and probably will not happen again for a very long time. Yeah, they recorded the 107th and 108th Immaculate Inning in MLB history. Jeff, do you have anything to add on your favorite team? Greatness. Absolute greatness. The seat. How you feel about me with the Heat <laughs> is how I feel about Jeff with the Astros. Like, but why? I know, but I know Jeff is joking about it. With you, you're actually sitting there saying I'm, Heat culture, and you're oh, you're I'm, proud about it. Yeah. But can it you makes, can you awesome. explain what Heat culture is? Please? You want me to do that with the short time that we have? Not not on today's right, show. Right, yeah, I was right. gonna say but later like on. Let me let me sleep on it and give you a real explanation. Okay. But I feel like. All you're going to say is, you're not I'll a Heat write fan. a whole book. You're not a Heat fan, so a you, book? you just I'll write don't a know. book. I mean, I've asked you before what Heat culture is. And and I you told just you. say you're not a fan, so you wouldn't know. That's true. That's but, all you but I I'll explain. Know. I, I will explain to, to you. Know. But I am interested in the Guardians right well, now. Let's talk about the Astros for a little bit longer, though. Um, some stats via Jason Stark of The Athletic. Definitely want to shout out Jason Stark here because the stats he pulled out from this article about Luis Garcia and Phil Maton absolutely blew my mind. So here they are. The Rangers, who they were playing, had only had one immaculate inning thrown against them in club history since the pitch count era. They had two of them in that one game. The Astros have only pitched one immaculate inning in the past 17 seasons. Did it twice in one game. And the odds of the same team throwing two immaculate innings in the same game are 1 in 7.47 million. The odds of the same team throwing two immaculate innings in the same game against the same three batters, well, those odds would be 1 in 67.2 million. And to put that into reference, shout out to Jason Stark again, put this together. He said, or to put this in terms we can more easily relate to, this should happen once eh, every 27,670 seasons. What a mathematician this man is. How That's about impressive. That? Wow. Phil Maton didn't do it for the Guardians, but did it for the Astros. And Luis Garcia, same three batters, immaculate inning. Some amazing stuff there in the MLB. How do you think those three batters feel? Oh, man. That I mean, that was, They're a part of history, but in a bad way. Yeah, that was a rough game. Let's go, let's go to our Player of the Week segment. Maybe we hear Luis Garcia and Phil Maton here. I don't know what you guys have. I don't have those guys, though. Player of the Week segment, though. Each of us picks one MLB player to feature for player of the week, regardless of position, could be for accomplishments on or off the field. Logan, I swear if you pick the guy I, play, I picked, it's not going to be good between us, man. We've I don't think I did before. today because I know you're not even really that high on this guy. All right. I picked for this week for statistical reasons, and I'm picking Mike Trout. Four home, four home runs in the last three days is extremely impressive. Why are you laughing, Jake? Oh, I just I gestured towards Jeff. had nothing to do with you. I did pick Mike Trout. Four home runs in the last three days. And as MLB, the Twitter account tweeted, witnessing greatness. All right, Jeff. So the segment is called Player of the Week, not Players. So I couldn't put Luis Garcia or Phil Maton on here because that's cheating. 
So I had to settle for Mike Trout. Oh. Hence the gesture, Logan. Right. Um, hit a home run in both games with a doubleheader versus the Mariners and is currently second in the league in home runs. So my guy's Mike Trout. Good yeah. pick, Jeff. Well, indeed. So <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> I picked Adley Rutschman, Paul Goldschmidt, Carlos Carrasco, and Luis Arise as my player of the week since we've done this. And I'm two for two, both statistical-wise and story-wise. And this week, I'm going to do a little bit of both. Not only does this player have a good stat, but they also have a good story. It's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'll go with how he's been playing recently first. So his season stats, not great, 263 batting average. But in his last seven games, this is the player of the week segment, 379 batting average, three home runs, seven RBIs. He's been picking it up as of late. And the incredible storyline stat with his father, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., in their first 403 MLB career games, both Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Sr. had 87 home runs and an on-base percentage of 363. So to do that in their first 403 career games, have the same amount of home runs, have the same OBP. I mean, just incredible stats there with Guerrero Jr. and Guerrero Sr. And I honestly wish uh, Jason Stark of the, of the Athletic would do some <laughs> statisticians work on that stat and see how unlikely that would be between players who have a father and son in the MLB. Some great stuff there from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you guys both picked Mike Trout. No three players mentioned on today's program, but uh, Mike Trout and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will have to do it for us. Let's go into some power rankings, though. Not your ordinary power rankings. We're not doing one through five in the MLB. We're actually going to be doing 26 through 30 in the MLB. So let's start at 26 with some reverse power rankings. The 26th best team in the MLB or the fifth worst team in the MLB. However way you phrase it, Jeff, I'll go to you first. Who do you have? So for the 26th worst, best, whatever word you want to use there. 26th worst, (laughs) fifth Right. 26th best, fifth worst. Right. Uh, That team for me, the Detroit Tigers, 25 and 40, and have only won less than 39% of their games so far. I would second that, the Detroit Tigers. You also have the Tigers at number five. I do. I have the Tigers a little bit higher on my list. I think we're all going to have the same five teams. It just depends on the order Mm -hmm. because these five teams have been struggling a lot right now. They all have terrible records. But I actually have the Reds here at number five or the 26th best team in the MLB. They have a 23-42 and 42 record. Uh, for me, though, Kyle Farmer has emerged as a great player, batting 288 and almost was my player of the week. His last seven games, he's batting 462. They also have Brandon Drury on their team, a great guy for power. And they have some other good pieces as well in Tyler Naquin, Tyler Stevenson, Joey Votto, and Jonathan India, who just came back from injury, though. Um, pitching is their biggest weakness. Their best starter has an ERA of 4.46. So that's definitely a concern for the Reds. But looking at their lineup, I am impressed by some guys. So I have the Reds at number five. Logan, I'll go to you first this time. Number four, who do you have? Number four, I have the Kansas City Royals at 23-41 and 41 and 13.5 games back of the Twins in the AL Central. I have the Royals as the... 
25th worst best team in the NFL yeah. or the MLB. Yeah, it would be 27th best. 27th best. Fourth, fourth worst. Fourth worst. Yeah, it's very complicated how you want to <laughs> word it, but you, you get what we're going here. We're leading up to the worst team in the MLB. Who do you have at number four, Jeff? I have the Washington Nationals currently set at 23 and 46, only won 33% of their games, and are currently on an eight game losing streak. That's not fun. Yeah, not fun at all for Nationals fans out there. I do agree with Logan here, though. I have the Royals at number four, 23 and 41, like you mentioned. They do have a bright future ahead of them with Bobby Witt Jr., but their key players this year have not been playing well with Wet Merrifield, Salvador Perez, and Hunter Dozier. All batting, low batting averages, plus Zach Granke is on the IL, and Adalberto Mondesi is out for the year. Only positive thing is that they have the most triples in the league at 16, but that's not going to not going to get them anywhere, especially in the AL Central. Royals at number four. Who do you guys have at number three? I have the Nationals at number three for the same reasons that Jeff expressed. They're on an eight-game losing streak and at a record of 23 and 46. For me, I have the Cincinnati Reds sitting at 23 and 42, won only 35 percent of their games, and are currently on a three-game losing streak. All right, makes sense. I have the Tigers here at the 28th best team in the MLB or third worst, 25-40 and 40, 40 record. Uh, Tariq Skubal has emerged as a great pitcher in the AL, but other than that, their best player in their lineup is Miguel Cabrera, who is retiring this year. His batting average is two ninety seven. but they did call up the MLB.com's second overall prospect, Riley Green, who went 2-3 and three with two walks in his first Major League game. So that's not too bad. But their second best hitter right now is batting 193. And Javier Baez is hitting 192. So not what they wanted in their free agency splash with Javier Baez. And they have, a, they have hit a league-worst 34 home runs and have scored the fewest runs in the MLB at 183. I actually think the Tigers are worse than the Royals this year. Number two, though, Jeff, I'll go to you first. Number two, the Kansas City Royals sitting at 23-41, and 41, won less than 36% of their games, but are on a three-game winning streak, so good for them. All right, Logan? I have the Cincinnati Reds for all the same reasons you expressed, but I think that they are worse than you made them sound. Um, of course, they are apparently the Guardian Killers, <laughs> which is mind-blowing to me, but yeah, I would have, them. I would have the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, pitching, definitely their biggest weakness. I have the Nationals here at number two. Pretty much for the same reasons you guys said. Their only bright spot is uh, Josh Bell, who's batting two ninety eight. He hit three home runs in the doubleheader against the Phillies on Friday. And Juan Soto, batting two eighteen. This guy's supposed to be one of the best outfielders in the entire league. Right now, two eighteen batting average is not going to cut it. Also, they have the highest team ERA in the league at 5.36. Not when you, not what you want to see as a Nationals fan. Number one, though, I think we're all in agreement, mm-hmm. the Oakland Athletics. Yes, mm-hmm. the Correct. Oakland Athletics. Why do you guys have the A's here? So they've only won 22 games. They've won less than two-thirds of their games and are 19 games back of your first place, Houston Astros. I'll be fully honest. I went and watched them play the Guardians last week, I want to say, and... Watching them play, I, I couldn't name one single player in their lineup. I did learn the name of a dude named Kevin Smith, 
who I was rigorously screaming at the entire time, even though I had no reason to be. He was just, he happened to be right in my line of vision, and I knew he could hear me, and they were losing, and I thought it was funny. But, oh, so you're one of those fans. Oh, I was I was screaming at this guy. Real just classy. Just random Boston. stuff, too. Yeah, real classy. Random stuff. I was telling him that I, I Googled, like, where where their <laughs> minor league teams played. I was like, was, oh, Vegas is calling. Bring him, bring him back. And then... I said something to him, and then he dropped the next ball that was thrown at him. That must be what heat culture is, Jeff. Yeah. I think we figured it no, out. I'm, I'm going to, when I get home, I'm going to be typing up an entire explanation on Sounds this. Sounds great. I'm I'll be tweeting it out. It. Look for it. Um, I'll tag WZIP Sports on Twitter in the explanation <laughs> of heat culture. And but I hope I win. No less than a thousand words. Yeah. Okay. I also have the A's here, though. Uh, 22 and 45 record, which is the worst in the MLB. Only bright spots are Christian Bethancourt and Paul Blackburn on their team. They're really uh, wasting Frankie Montes' career right now. Best batting average on their team belongs to Bethancourt at 248. They have the worst team batting average in the entire MLB at 208. And are second worst in runs scored at 213. Plus, they play in the worst stadium in the MLB. So, if you're an Oakland A's fan, really nothing exciting. At all, they have fans because last I checked, none of them show up to their games. Yeah, I mean, you're also <laughs> you're also right about that, but I feel like that's more about the stadium than the actual fans themselves. But let's talk about the Guardians, though, shall we? Only five minutes in today's show. Let's get as much talked about as we can. Let's talk about Jose Ramirez. He's playing like the AL MVP recently. He is out right now because he has a stubbed right thumb, I believe. Season stats, though: three hundred five batting average, sixteen home runs. 62 RBIs. He actually was passed for the most RBIs in the league by Pete Alonso, who has 63 right now. Still, though, Ramirez with a 1.039 OPS. His last seven games, batting 448. Quick question to ask you guys, though. Can he catch up to Aaron Judge in the AL MVP race? He definitely can. If the Guardians keep winning like they're winning and he keeps playing the way that he's playing, he definitely can. I would agree that it's definitely possible. Him being out right now definitely hurts that a little bit, but it's, it's still possible. There's still plenty of season left. Yeah, I think it's possible, but if I were to bet on it, I would go with Aaron Judge. Um, Judge has similar season stats, but Judge does lead the league in home runs, and home runs is just that one stat that everybody loves and everybody's attracted to. If you have the power, they're going to take that every single time. And if you look at the teams themselves, the Yankees have the best record in the MLB, whereas the Guardians are sixth place in the American League. I think that weighs into it as well. I do like Aaron Judge for AL MVP right now. I'm not saying that Jose Ramirez has no chance, but right now with him on the sideline for hopefully just one more game today, uh, we'll see what happens with the AL MVP race. Let's talk about the AL Central standings because things have been mixing up in the AL Central. The Twins still sit at first place with a 38-29 and 29 record. The Guardians are 33-28. and 28. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10, and only two games back of the first place Minnesota Twins. We've been making up some ground slowly, but surely we've also played six fewer games than the Twins with the Chicago White Sox in third. Only five games back from the Twins. And then we mentioned them, Detroit and KC in fourth and fifth. What do you guys make of the AL Central right now? Uh, Who do you think is going to win the race between the Twins, the Guardians, and the White Sox? I think it's playing out exactly how most people would have predicted. The AL Central is usually, other than some years the Royals are really good and some years they're really bad. 
Uh, I think this division is usually pretty predictable. And as much as I don't want to admit it, I do think the Twins end up winning the division, but I do think the Guardians are a better team. All right, interesting. Jeff, who do you think wins the race? Uh, For me, it's between uh, the three best teams right now, the Twins, Guardians, and White Sox, but I'll take the Twins as well. Uh, Just the past couple of years, it just seems like they've been better than the other teams in the division. Yeah, I unfortunately agree with you guys. The Twins, they have Luis Arias, who has the best batting average in the league. Byron Buxton is heating up with a two ninety three batting average in his last 15 games. And they also have solid pitching with Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray. The Guardians, I just don't know if they'll be able to keep up their pace right now. They have a tough stretch of games coming up and a tough stretch of games to end the season. And the White Sox, they might pass the Guardians, but honestly, Tony De La Russa doesn't know how to manage a baseball team anymore. And Tim Anderson has been hurt, so add him into the mix. They could improve that way, too. Luis Robert, or Luis, Luis Robert and Jose Abreu have been great, but their pitching has been inconsistent with Dylan Cease and Luke, Lucas Giolito having some good starts, but also some rough starts along the way. Against the Dodgers this week for the Guardians, they won 2-1 to one on Friday. Our, both of our RBIs came from sack flies. Not really a game that is very entertaining, especially to people like Jeff, who are a armchair fan of the MLB at the very best, I would say. It's a pretty good description of me. Yeah. And then Saturday, a game that Logan decided to tune into. First, Honestly, first one game loss. I've watched on television in a long time. And that's, as I said on Twitter last week, credit to Jake, because this, sport, this Sports Power Talk baseball segment has provided me with so much more knowledge and the ability to watch it on TV. So I did tune in last night, and I was thoroughly disappointed. Yeah. Well, but like you, you said, that, no Ramirez, no Naylor, loss. Yeah, that's a recipe for loss right there. And if you're featuring Aaron or Austin Hedges on the poster for the game. Yeah, that's... Uh, just, yeah, You might as well just hand Cal, it out right there. Cal Quantrill's going up against one of the best lineups in the MLB with the Dodgers. That 7-1 to final score does not surprise me. We do have a very tough upcoming, toughest stretch of the season, guys. A hundred percent. The twin series means a lot more than most people think. And then, obviously, Boston is always tough, and the Yankees are extremely tough. All right, Jeff? I would agree. Boston and New York, very tough. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Guardians in these Minnesota series because this is their chance to make up ground. So we'll see if they can do it. Some very entertaining games coming up for the Guardians. You have that right, Jeff? But honestly, I think there's a tougher stretch later on in the season, especially since three of the upcoming four tough series are being played at Progressive Field. In September, the very end of the season, we visit the Twins. Then we play home against the Angels and the Twins. And then we go on the road to play the White Sox and the Rangers to go home again to play the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. To me, that's six, those six series in a row to end the season – that's the toughest stretch of the season. But right now, when we are on a winning streak, or not a winning streak, but a very, I think we won 14 of our last 18 games. We're playing very well. Uh, definitely don't want to run into a roadblock, especially against the Minnesota Twins, when we could make up some ground in the AL Central. All right, well, that will do it for today's show. We talked about the conclusion of the NBA Finals, what the NBA will look like next season, the Browns and NFL news, and, of course, about the MLB and Cleveland Guardians. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Um, Again, credit Jake for resurrecting the baseball segment here on SPT. You've done a good job with that. 
I'm very excited for the NBA draft. Hopefully the Cavs draft Ochai Abaji or Malachi Branham and go Astros. Quick little spiel for you. Uh, make sure to look out for the 1,000-word uh, essay about <laughs> heat culture from the desk of WZIP sports reporter Logan Conger. That'll be out on Twitter here shortly. Uh, happy birthday, Haley, and happy Father's Day, Dad. Does the question Is the question like, does WZIP sports retweet the essay? I don't know. From the desk of the heat culture master. You're a master. You're a master of something, something that's insignificant. Yeah, you got. All right, just let me write the essay. <laughs> all right, okay, okay. Well, for me, I love that I was finally right about something in the NBA playoffs. When the bracket first got announced, my predictions were all over the place, but there was one constant. Unfortunately, it was the Warriors winning it all. So I'm happy I at least got that right. Also, go Panthers. I hope Baker Mayfield gets traded to Carolina. I would legit become a Panthers fan and buy that jersey if it happens. Plus. Today is the six-year anniversary of the Cleveland Cavaliers winning the 2016 NBA championship when they ended the Cleveland curse. So go Cavs. And lastly, go Guardians. Not only are they on fire, but the entire sport of baseball is on fire as well. As always, you can check out our podcast, SBT Rewind and SBT Overtime, or head over to our Twitter page at WZIP Sports for more of our content. And why wouldn't you want more of WZIP sports in your life. We're amazing up here. Come on. 100%. Right. Yeah. yeah. Joining me for today's show were Logan. Jeff Longville. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't see you pointed at. Wow. Joining me for today's show were, let's try it again, guys. Jeff Longville. Logan Congrove. I'm Jake Murren. Jeff's taking over as host for me next week. So until I speak to you again, happy Father's Day. Be kind and have a great week, everyone.